Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, at Big Meach 41, and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. All right, Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat legend. He played for the Bearcats from 2009 to 2013. And a bunch of people hit me up on Twitter. You know, I've been interviewing all these former players, and, and people wanted to hear from this guy. And he was definitely a fan favorite, and we'll, we'll shortly understand why. I'd like to welcome in, straight from Savannah, Georgia, number one, my guy, Cashmere Wright. What's up, Cash? What's up, Meach? How you feeling, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Uh, how you doing with all this stuff going on in the, in the world right now? Uh, I'm doing all right. I mean, give you a little more time to spend time with your family than, than you ever have before, especially job-wise. So I'm enjoying it a little more than I think most people are. Yeah, tell, tell the Bearcat fans what you're doing now. Uh, right now I work at Jeff Waller in Fairfield with uh, another Bearcat, Cedric Glover. Uh, ah. Also Jaquan Parker with me okay um yeah that's that's good know. we got got the triple threat out there man we got all the positions you got your point guard got jaquan at the swing got set down low you guys are killing it out there yeah. whole little team <laughs> yeah that's good man that's good a uh, quick question for you um now you have a great like sports name what Explain the explain cashmere like how that came about and why you were named that. Man, okay, so this this is the story. My mom has one story, and my my grandmother has another. So my <laughs> grandmother said, my grandmother said that she bought my mom a, a cashmere sweater. Okay. Uh, to the uh, when I was born, and I didn't have a name yet, so they named me like that. So that's where it came from. My mom thought that just just off the rim, like, hey, that sounds like a good name. Uh-huh. But my mom said that she saw it on a movie. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been saying this for years, and everybody has fact-checked, and nobody can find a movie with somebody named Cashmere. And she <laughs> says that she can't think of a movie. So I don't know what to think. So, so Grandma's probably right. I think Grandma's right. Yeah, for sure. Have you, So I'm a huge Jay-Z fan, um, and one of my favorite jay-z songs ever off the reasonable doubt album cashmere thoughts have you heard that i heard it but you're gonna hate oh. me for this I'm, i don't like jay-z you whoa, 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 whoa. you said you don't like jay-z no nah, man I, I think because i'm from the south and when i tell people this they'd be like what i mean i like him as a business person as a mogul but like mm-hmm. music wise i'm not a jay-z fan oh my god see i'm gonna have to so okay Cash, we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about this another time, but I'm I'm gonna turn you into to a Jay Z fan. So when I played, almost everyone on my team was from the South. The majority of the people, um, 
you know, Kenyon Martin was from the South, a lot of guys from the South. So I had to introduce them to Jay-Z because I was a big East Coast rap fan, and slowly they became a uh, – uh, so the funny thing is, you know, Kenyon wasn't – he wasn't a Jay-Z fan at all. And so I kind of helped turn him on to Jay-Z. And how ironic is it that Jay-Z says Kenyon's name in a line, like later on in the song, years later. And I'm like, Ken, I, I tell you, yeah, no. So, uh, okay, the other thing, um, and I, I, I'm fascinated with this question to former players, current players. You wore number one when you played at UC. Why did you choose number one? Um, okay, so when I was in uh, high school, I went to a transfer. I played number one in AAU every season. Mm-hmm. And, but in high school, I mean, I played number 10 um, all the time. That was my number. My favorite number is 10. Okay, because of what? School, what? Why'd you I like 10? Mike Bibby. Mike Bibby was my favorite player growing up, and he wore Oop. 10 at Arizona. Okay. Okay. So I always wore 10. And when I went to high school, the number was uh, retired because the person had passed away when they wore uh, 10. So I had to I had to find another number. So I was like, well, I might as well just take the first number and and um, and, and move the zero off, and then it just became one. Mm-hmm. It was always like that. Yeah. Did, so did you like it? Did you like being one? I loved it because then you, it's so many things you can say off of it. I mean, you're the first person, you're the, you're the first one, you are the one. It's just so many things that came off of it. Yep. So it's just like, okay. Yep. All right. And, and, and funny thing is, and one of the reasons I wanted to ask you that, because when I got to UC and they asked me what number I wanted, I actually wanted number one. And they told me I couldn't have it. And the reason they told me I couldn't have it this is crazy, man. You ready for this one? They told yeah, me that I could not wear number one because Oscar Robertson wore number one his freshman year in practice. I was like, <laughs> what? And they said, they said any number associated with Big O, whether it was practice or games, no one could wear. I was like. Hey, but you know what? I would have respected that, Meech. Uh-huh. I, I could have I understand that. Uh, especially since then, he's probably like he has records people will never catch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I, I just thought it was like pra- we talking about practice, <laughs> not the game, not the game, <laughs> the the practice, the practice. So I ended up choosing forty one, which ended up being way better for for me because it was so odd that you have a a guard wearing number forty one when mostly bigger players, you know. Eventually, Dirk Nowitzki, guys like that, but with Sam Perkins, War Forty One, not a not a small guy, but uh, yeah. So I'm always fascinated why people choose the uh, number they choose. Now, you said something a second ago well, about. Why did you choose forty one? What's that? Why did you choose forty one? Well, I chose forty one because well, I grew up a, a huge Michael Jordan fan, but I, but I always always said to myself, I will never wear number twenty three because. At no point did I ever think I would be the best player on the team, and I always felt like the best player should have number 23. And I just was like, I don't ever want to wear 23. So I try to think of like – and so from that standpoint, it's like Michael Jordan made 23 popular and famous. And I was like, is there a number that like nobody really has that's not 
famous or that I can kind of make and create my own legacy with. And that's when I came up with 41. And my, my favorite player growing up was Glenn Rice, who played at Michigan. And he was number 41. And prior, I've never seen anybody really outstanding with it. So I was like, nobody you see really. I was like, let me go with 41. It looks crazy. So I like, I like that. That's a good, I mean, hey, that was better than – I like that. Yeah, so if you think about UC history, there's only really been just a couple, handful of guys that wore number 41. A lot of people don't even know, you know, who that is because they played so long ago. But so yeah, that's my story. And now you you played AU. Who you play AU for? So I played AU for the London Celtics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my last year I played for which was the same basically team, which was Hoop Planet. Yep. And and. And funny thing, I'm not sure if you remember, I think we talked about this one time. My AU team played you guys in Orlando. Yeah. You remember, remember that? I remember that. And the crazy thing is um, Larry Davis, Coach Davis was there recruiting you. Yeah. That, he was there recruiting you that game we, we played, and that's how I found out who you were even prior to the game. Um and watching you, and little did I know, I mean, you guys beat us, and little did I know you'd end up a, a Bearcat. And I'm definitely glad you did. I'm not happy you guys beat my team. However, <laughs> now you guys were good, though. It worked out. It, yeah, it I, mean, worked. I, I mean, I played with some great players, man. You say what? I played with some great players, man. It kind of make you miss AAU season, man. It's fun. That's, a, that's some fun times. It is, and... and I always, I always tell people when they ask about the AU world, like Bearcat fans, um, you know, they follow recruiting and they love recruiting, but a lot of them don't get to see the inner workings of AU basketball and how it operates. And the one thing I love about it, and I, I'm sure you will attest to this, but one of the great things about AU is the connection you make, the people you play with and the people you play against. And you play against and with some high-level players. I'm telling you, like, uh, I'll be telling you all the time, like, uh, I played with Dwight Howard, um, uh, Randolph Moore, um, shoot, uh, I played, I saw Lewis Williams when he was in, like, uh, eighth, ninth grade, mm. getting 50, like, I was around all this stuff in Georgia, and to look back at it, you like, man, like, it, it's kind of surreal even thinking about the see these people now, and you're mm-hmm. like, wow, like, I was literally in the same gym people. I know. I know. It's 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 a great experience. And it's 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 unfortunate that, you know, in this time right now with the coronavirus, it's really impacted AU basketball and I know you're in that world as well. And I mean the spring spring session shot, um, summer's not looking too good. And a lot of these kids are losing a lot of opportunities to get a lot of college looks right now. That's that's what I that's the uh the main part that I'm upset about because especially like the seniors that were coming back hoping to get, like, into prep school and things like that and to be seen. And now they don't have even a shot because, uh-huh. you know, the chances – you know, you may have one month, maybe one month. And just to think about how old, like, what are you really going to do in one month? Like, they yeah. have so much expectation and just so much build up for this summer. Like, and this is over. And think about this, Cash. I was thinking about this the other night. The transfer portal right now in college basketball 
is, I mean, it's way above 500, which I think it might be at the most it's ever been in the, the history of college basketball. And I mean, just crazy right now. Just think when all of this is over, this coronavirus stuff, I mean, these schools are probably recruiting guys that they normally wouldn't recruit. They're, they're making mistakes. Kids are probably going places they shouldn't go. But, but they don't have the opportunity to watch some of these kids. They're looking at video. And you and I know this. I could create a video right now of me playing pickup ball, and I could make myself look really good in a video. I can That's clip right. it, right, throw some music in there, That's have right. it coming off a ball screen. So I think, man, can you imagine – a year from now, the transfer portal is going to be insane. Yep. But where, where are they going to go? I don't know. Because I, my, my thing is, and I tell kids, is you got to think about it like this. Every year in college, I mean, people transfer every year and they got to, you know, they get a new fresh crop. But mm-hmm. then think about the kids that are coming out of high school that's coming out there too. So, you know, now you put yourself in a situation where you got to basically beat out somebody else from a whole other class. For sure. For sure. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be uh, very interesting, which, which is a great segue to one of the first topics I want to go over with you, and that is your recruiting process. Um, and I know that originally you committed to uh, Clemson and then decided in on uh, Cincinnati. So talk about that recruiting process. Um, why you chose Cincinnati, and then also who was the main recruiter from Cincinnati on you? What what coach? Um, the recruiting process was fun. My first I think my first time I committed when I was in tenth grade, and that was because a lot of people understand. Like I'm from a small town, so I wasn't used to that much attention, that much people calling you, and that much people texting you and sending you emails and things like that. Mm-hmm. They're not emails, sending you mess uh, mail. So I was ready to get it over with. So the first visit I went on, I committed to a school. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll just do it, do it that way. And then once I got going my tenth grade year, I was like, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. uh, Coach Davis was originally at Furman University. Yep. Uh, and he basically saw me in the eighth grade at the same school that I was at. Uh, mm-hmm. He was recruiting another kid. So I already met him. You know, he sent me some mail from Furman uh, when he was there. So once he transferred from Furman to UC, uh, it was it was kind of clear for me. I was, My mom was comfortable with him, and my family already knew him for, like, what what's that, four years. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, my mom was, like, more so, like, heather than any other place because she felt like she could trust him with me and that. And she built that relationship. So it was kind of, well, it seemed like I was I was going other places, but it was kind of, I was waiting on, I knew where I was going from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, I'll never forget this, when uh, my AU team played uh, you guys down in Orlando, Coach Davis was there, and after the game I was talking to him, and we were talking about you, and, and Coach Davis was like, man, he's he's really good. Like, this, this kid's going to help us. This kid's really, really good. And I, I'll never forget that. And the recruiting process is it's so tough for kids um, these days. And you, you made a good point, um, Cash, when you talked about being from a small town and being recruited. I think that's even tougher for kids being from, you know, small towns, small schools, small areas. And you get all these big dogs coming at you. 
um, it's 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 easy. Like you committed to Clemson, like they were the first ones coming at you, and man, oh my God, they're they're coming at me. I I gotta go there, right? Yeah. Hey, and then you really don't know. The more it gets on you, you don't know who to trust because everybody's gonna say the same thing. Yep. So yep. Everyone no you get to campus, everybody's gonna make you feel like you're the best person there, and everybody's gonna make you feel special and everything like that. But then it becomes, you know, once you hear it enough times from different people, you get tired of it. Personally, I got tired of it because I, I yep. knew it was coming. I knew what they were gonna say, and it was just like, you know, <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's just for, it's just to be honest with you. Like I was just ready to the point. Where I was like, let me just go somewhere where I feel like you know I can play and things like that. And I looked at Cincinnati and I'm like, okay, I get a chance to play in the Big East. Uh, I get a chance to play Madison, Madison Square Garden every year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Yancey Gates was coming. Yancey was coming in. I didn't know Dion was coming at the time, but I knew Yancey was coming in. And I mm-hmm. had met Yancey at the NBA camp the year before. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay. And then the, the the big elephant in the room was, was Kimber Walker. So it became uh, two schools, uh, UConn and Cincinnati. So, and he was trying to figure out wherever he was going to go. So uh-huh. wherever he said, I think his top two was Cincinnati and UConn the same way. So uh-huh. basically I was waiting on him to shoot. So wherever he didn't go, I was gone. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a nugget right there. I did not know that. Yeah. That's yeah, a good so nugget. So he, he was in the recruiting in the recruiting aspect of it. He was, uh, I think, he was the second point guard behind Brandon Jennings, mm-hmm. and I was seven. Okay. So, I mean, that's just how it went. And I understood that, and it was cool. <laughs> it was yeah. great. But I, I wanted to play in the Big East. I wanted to play in uh, in that conference. Yep. Now let me ask you this. So. Now that you've you've been through the process of recruiting, you played it you you played at an extremely high level, you played professionally, now you're in the workforce here in, in, in this community. If you were to rewind the tape and it was, you know, Kashmir Wright in high school, what what advice would you give other kids if you were in high school, like how to pick a school? What are the factors that you would now say to a kid, think about these two or three things? during the recruiting process to make your decision? Okay. Uh, first thing would be look at the, the team um, that you're going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, pay more attention to how they are physically built and mentally when you're around them. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just go there thinking because, it, you know, you don't look at it from a standpoint of that's going to be you, but in a year that will be you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. You know, pay more attention to uh, – like how they, you know, if you if your body is not built how they are built, and you if you don't think you can be successful being built like that or playing a certain type of way, like pay attention to the style of play more so than you, how you're going to play. So if it means sitting being behind somebody for a year, but playing in a system that better fits you, you know, make that decision that way. Mm-hmm. And also find a place where you will, you will be successful afterwards where mm. people will help you and kind of pull you along and not trying to, um, like, you know, uh, allow you to grow and, and be something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can go a lot of places and they won't help you after after you get there. Right. You know, it's just like after, well, after the sports is over, after the yep. sports is over, some places they just don't help you and you just be stuck there. And that's – I think your your last point is probably your best point because – 
During the recruiting process, I tell a lot of our kids within our program, when you're deciding on a school, you have to decide where will you be in six years? And the kids are like, what, what do you mean six years? And I'm like, okay, let's say you go to a school and you play four years. Let's say you redshirt one year and you play five years. Well, where are you in that six year? How has your experience helped you? Do you have the connections at that school? Like, where will you be in six years? And do you feel comfortable with the school you picked that will help you be successful in that six year and beyond? And I think that's, to your point, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Now. Because then it becomes <laughs> what was that? real. I yep. Because after that, it becomes real. That's real life there. Yep, it is. And we're, we're going to talk about, you know, um, your life after you see and, and all that stuff a little bit later in the podcast. Let's jump into, you know, your, your first year at UC. And I mentioned um, a red shirt a second ago, but you get here 2008-2009 season and uh, you tear your ACL. Um, tell us how that happened. Um, pretty crazy. It was from, uh, the first practice of the year. So I made it through preseason, uh, summer conditioning, and I got up to uh, – we did the Midnight Madness the day before. Mm-hmm. And we had – not Midnight Madness, whatever that thing was called. We did that like the day before. Mm-hmm. And then we had our second practice of the official first day, the last drill. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, basically a, a, a hop through. Like, a, um, like basically what I get you to do all the time if you would come down for a layup, uh, trying to hop, like hop between, and I did that. Came down, and it just that was it. Yeah, and when and when it happened, I've been there. I've been through that injury, and I can remember when I got hurt in that moment. What was going through my mind? Do you remember exactly what was going through your mind when that happened? Obviously, pain, but outside of that pain. No, nah, uh, so I blanked out, uh, mm-hmm. and I woke up. And I was in uh, in uh, Bob Manzine's office, mm. uh, Fluker. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Basically, yep. And they went through the whole spiel of you know just seeing it, and then uh, so I didn't, we really didn't know what was going on, but they they had a, they had a, a a clue because I could tell how they was acting, but they didn't want to tell me. Mm-hmm. So I was still kind of optimistic, like hoping, because like I said, I'm not, I will not, I have never been hurt before before that. I'm talking ankle injuries, nothing, never been hurt. Uh-huh. So for that to happen, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect. And then, then we had a doctor appointment the next day, and they just came out and told me, you know, what it was. So it was a little different, still different to think about. So how's that? How was that on you mentally to basically have to sit out that that whole first season? Um, and watch. And I know, I know, someone like you, um, number one, being ultra competitive, and number two, your entire life you've played a lot. So that's you right. go from sitting and watching. That's got to be tough. Uh, yeah, th- that was tough. And then the, to have the freshman that she came in and second to play with, uh, to see them play, and, and to be and to do well, and you sit there and watching and can't do nothing. Um, uh, I wanted to transfer. I, I, I tried to transfer a couple times. Um, mm. Yeah, my mom. What? My mom told me no. 
I, not not even transfer. I wanted to go home. So my first mm-hmm. time, I wanted to just go home, uh, like ready to quit. What, why then, is that? Tell tell us why. Why? Um, imagine going from like being like a top player all the time and being talked about and having these big dreams of being, you know, going to the NBA and doing all this extravagant things, and mm-hmm. in one moment it's all over. And to you, yep. mentally, it's all over. Like, all the, all the stuff that I've done before has meant nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, to, to me, it felt like I didn't have any say-so in it. Like, it wasn't a, it wasn't nothing that I could have done. It wasn't like an accident or something like that. Like, I, oh, I could have just walked down the other side of the street. Like, it, it was something that I really couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And it was just, uh, I mean, it was just over. Well, not over, but I couldn't see any light at that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you, your mom wouldn't let you transfer, no, leave, she, any of that? No. Nah, she told me it wasn't no, uh, wasn't no, she, I had no room in the house no more. She said she, <laughs> she, 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 said she ain't raised that type of child. So she mm-hmm. said, uh, you'll be okay. And I sit down somewhere. Good for good for her. <laughs> that was that was great advice though, right? Cash, you there? Hello. Cash, you there? Yep. Okay. Sorry, I lost you. Are you there now? I'm here. Okay. Uh, she gave you great advice, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it taught me a lot. I mean, it still rubs off on me. Still, it, it, she instilled what she instilled in me. I mean, that's that's the truth, though. I was being a little little girl at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, not not thinking past the moment. And sometimes you be like that. And that's why I tell kids now and, and people that I talk to, like, man, like sometimes you're just not gonna see anything, but somebody, if a person, you'll know if a person care about you because they can see. Other people can see things for you sometimes, and mm-hmm. you just gotta pay attention and just go. Like, don't be afraid, just go. Mm-hmm. Yep. So one of the one of the toughest things when you go through an injury, um, besides the, the the mental piece, is the physical, the rehab. And I've been there with injuries. <clears throat> rehab. It's so tough because there are moments when you doubt yourself, like, can I get back to what I used to be? And you also think, can I put myself in a position where I'm better than what I was before I got hurt? So from a physical standpoint, going through that that therapy, that rehab, um, getting ready for that next season, that 2009-2010 season, how was that process? How tough was that? I mean, it, it wasn't those. <laughs> I think from the first day I had rehab, it was I realized that I was in a whole other situation I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they take the bandage off and tell you can't get started, and the simplest thing that you've been doing since you were a kid, I mean, since you were a baby, becomes the hardest thing. Yep. Um, they set me on the table and she said the first thing uh, I remember Miss Rose, she said lift your leg up. Now. You think that's just simple, like just lift your leg. I'm talking, and I'm sitting and screaming with all my might, and my leg would not move. <laughs> I've been there. Mm-hmm. And all I could do, and imagine you in front of, uh, like all, um, like this is a college campus, so we we actually are down here while everybody's working out and rehabbing, 
and all I could do was cry. And my mom's there with me. Mm-hmm. And all I could do was cry. Because mm-hmm. I'm talking from being a, a athlete, can do whatever I want to do, to now I can't lift my leg up. Mm. Yep. And that, that road to re- that road to recovery is so yeah. tough, man. It, and fans, I think it, it's good for fans to hear what you're talking about because, okay, fans know you got hurt and then they saw you come back, but they don't know what you went through in order to come back. No. Yeah, so it is. I think but still the worst injury that I did and uh, was the shoulder one. Mm-hmm. And that was my senior year. Yep. And people don't realize I used to wake my junior year. I broke the the steals the steals uh, record with one arm, and I used to wake up, and my and my arm used to be out of place in general, like just be out of place. So my labor was totally shot. But I was so being like like so stuck on you know I wanted I told people that we would never since I became a star point guard we would never not make the tournament that that's not mm-hmm. gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So it was what it was, and then after the year, we realized that it was just bad. So mm-hmm. I always, I couldn't really do anything with my left hand my entire junior year. Man, with my left arm. Yeah, and we're gonna get into that junior year. I don't think a lot of people know that. I think people know you were, I'm gonna say, banged up. I don't think they understood what you were toughing through. And I, and I want to build up to that, but let's let's go to that first year, that 2009-2010 season, and. I mean, you, like you said, you got some good pieces there. Yancey's there. Uh, Lance is there. Let's see. Dion. Um, Deontay's there. Oh, Steve um, Toiloy. Uh, yep. We had a squad. Yep. That was the best team I ever played on. Really? But but the but the record the, but the record didn't really reflect that. I mean, you look at you guys were 19 and, and 16, I believe. Lost a date yeah. in the NIT. Um so, so first of all, let's talk about your comeback to that season, and then talk about what happened that season. Why the I think record didn't reflect the roster you had. Okay, so the comeback was was pretty. Um, how did I say? The hardest part about something is when you're ready to play, when you mentally think that you're ready to play, and everybody else don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I was pushing myself pretty hard, and I got towards the summer. I think yeah. When Lance was coming there, because you know you hear Lance coming, so everybody's expectations become big. Because uh-huh. you know you got you know you're expecting so much, and everybody's seeing Lance, and everybody knows we're going to get attention. So that process kind of amped up, and you know I, I I think Lance is probably one of the best teammates that just show you how you have to work that I've uh-huh. ever seen in my life. Mm. Now, okay, wait, and, touch touch on that real quick because. I don't think a lot of people know that. Explain what you mean. Like, Lance can wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and, and work the same way, the same energy, same vibe, and, and as he would at 9 o'clock at night. It didn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> yep. Like, it, it did. He he would go, he would be 100 all the time. Like some people, you know, when he, I guess when he was a little younger, though, it was kind of like overdoing it. But looking back at it, though, it was it was I felt like it was how I should have been, or uh, most of us on that team should have been all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lance was wired different, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> he was different. For- man. <laughs> <laughs> no, different. no question. So, okay, you were talking about um, 
you know, your comeback for this season and, and the expectations you had versus what other people had for you at that time. Yeah. So then, it, I mean, like I said, it, beca- it became a, a mental game. But actually getting there and being a part of it, it, it was good. Um, getting to the beginning of the year, we went to, that was the year we went to Maui. Mm-hmm. And when people didn't expect us to be good, we really were good. Uh, I think when we left Maui, we made it to the championship and lost to Gonzaga in the mm-hmm. overtime. Um, and the whole problem with, I think, with that team, we were too talented. Mm-hmm. And too many, too many people wanting to do, wanting to play for at that time. Like, not, mm-hmm. not willing to take a back seat. Yep. Yep. So, if people didn't pay attention to it, but we, we had people like like Rashad got suspended, uh, didn't play in the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, like it, it was just wild things. I Man, I remember fights and everything. Like it was wild, man. Like that that <laughs> year that that year was probably like I said, it was the best team, a, a group of players, best practices I've ever been a part of. Yep. But like as a team, because like we were all young. Like you know, you got juniors and and uh, Rashad Bishop, Larry Davis, like all all these guys are juniors, and Lance comes in and he's supposed to take their their minutes, and he's mm-hmm. a freshman. Uh, I'm a freshman, a red shirt freshman. I come to take. I want to play, so I come to mm-hmm. take Deontay Vaughn, Deion Dixon, you know, uh, Darnell Wilkes, Larry. I come and take their minutes. Mm-hmm. So it, it became uh, uh, a nip and tuck thing between everybody that whole year, and that's. Part of the reason why we could, we were just too young, and I felt like even Crowden, he was a little, he was a little younger as a coach mm-hmm. for that team because it, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it, it was the team that was supposed to be the best team here that, yeah. that I've been a part of. It was supposed to go way further than any other team that was here. I, I I totally agree with that, and I I think what you just said is great insight. And well, one point I want to make is. Sometimes you could have a roster of fantastic players that don't always do well, and you could have a roster that has maybe not the same amount of talent, but you have the right pieces, the right players that buy into the system, and you have great leadership. And that can take you further than a team with a lot of talent. Yeah, because you enjoy it, man. Like it, it's nothing like going like like going to work. Like going practice is work, basically speaking. Mm-hmm. So it, there's nothing like going to work and enjoying it, like and enjoying the people you're around, knowing like knowing that hey, you know I'm getting ready for the game, but every day of fighting with people in practice, like practice was harder than games my freshman year. So every day of doing that, of nipping tough, and of hearing people, oh he he want to play this much. You know, people get in the game, and it, it just—it just was a lot, man. Yeah, and, and so, you know, Cash, you go from—you averaged five points a game, you know, your first year, and, and, and in a lot of ways, it was a—it was a disappointing season record-wise, and going to the NIT. So, going into your second year, what's kind of like your mindset? I know, obviously, you mentioned this before—you want to go to the NCAA tournament, but I—I I know you, and I know how competitive you are. I'm sure you're like, man, I want to lead this team. I want to be the leader. I want us to get to the NCAA tournament. So 
during that off season leading in, what's your mentality and, and, and what type of work are you putting in to put yourself in a better position? All right. So that that year, uh, going into that summer, was probably the hardest I've ever worked before because it was my chance. Um, I came in, Deontay Vaughn was already there, point guard, shooting guard, he was there. Uh, second all and time when he left, a second all time in point scored, first mm-hmm. assist. So he just left. You know, we made it to NIT, and from day one when I got there, my whole goal was I wanted to be the man. I wanted to be the, what the team leaned on. I wanted to be that person. Mm-hmm. So it was my chance. So you know, I worked really hard. And what people don't realize is that was the I tore my meniscus that summer. Mm. So yeah, so that. And which I felt is is worse than tearing your ACL, in in my opinion, and and knee injuries. Why is that? Because they they don't uh, see when the ACL they replace it with um with a meniscus they just take it out so you're bone on bone. Mhm. You know what I'm saying? So it just became a, a constant thing of me having uh that's when my really my knee injury started. That's what people don't realize. Like not not my freshman year. It started really my my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. After the meniscus, mm-hmm. so, but even that, uh, we were better as a team, though. Mm-hmm. Like nothing against Deontay, nothing against Lance and Steve Torloy, but as a group, we all knew where we fit in it, and that's when you know the I forgot what they call themselves the uh, the Goon Squad. My sophomore year with Larry Davis, Darnell, and all them was, was a part of the second group. You know I mean? Wait, wait. They called themselves the Goon Squad? I never heard this. You know what I mean? Yes, man. Like, uh, it was it was posters and everything made for them. It was Larry, uh, I, Justin I, Jackson. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So, then they, they was doing That was their thing. And then there was uh, me, Yancey, Rashad Bishop, Deion Dixon, and uh, I think it was Ibrahima. Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, yeah. that year you had you had uh, Sean too, so Patrick, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Sean was Sean was Sean was on the uh, the bench. He was on the Goon Squad team. He was with Larry Davis and them. I have never heard yeah. of Goon Squad. Yeah. I don't know how. When you, when you look back, when you go back and look at all what I'm saying now, and you see it, you're gonna remember what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. All right. And that was the year. And, and my that was the year I felt like we was gonna make it Elite Eight, Final Four. That was that team because we were older. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had red shirt sophomore point, uh, Rashad Bishop, they were seniors and everything like that. So we were good. Uh, and that was to give the Kimber Walker stuff. Oh, so that was to yep. give Kimber Walker. Yep. Uh, we, we played Kimber Walker in the second round of, of that tournament. And yep. he couldn't do no wrong. Hey. <laughs> that was, I think, Kimber Walker's performance all year, the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament was one of the best college performances that I've ever seen. He hey, was listen, He went from a, he went to a whole other level though. Like yeah. seeing him as a freshman when uh when when those other I forgot the other two guards that were there. Uh Dyson and uh the other guy. Mm-hmm. When they were there. But once they left he he became he was just different. Mhm. And that year right there he showed it. Yep. Yeah. So he sure, that was that year. <laughs> yeah, man, he was tough. But but you know what? That year you guys started off with a fifteen game winning streak. Um, one of the biggest games 
every year on the calendar versus Xavier, you guys blew them out. And I'm like, man, we go from the season last year, you know, which was disappointing, to this year, 15-game winning streak, blow out Xavier. I'm like, man, this is this is the squad. But kind of when you got in the Big East play, it was – and the Big East at that point is like – it's so tough, man, loaded. The, the Big East games were, were, were kind of back and forth. Hmm? We just wanted to get out. We, we felt like this. Knowing if we played any other team besides a Big East school, we felt like we had a great chance to win. No question. No question. And unfortunately, you played UConn in the and it was the second round, right? But the crazy part, UConn was the uh, that year they were the seventh best team in the Big East. That's crazy. Seventh. That's crazy. But but you know, but Cash, they and this is why I I say this quite a bit. I say this all the time. As a as a college basketball team. You want to use, you know, that first part of that regular regular season to learn about your team, to, you know, kind of build that continuity. And right at the end of the year, you want to get hot. Like, you want to be playing at a high level of confidence. And when UConn got to that Big East tournament, obviously Kemba was leading them. He was playing at another level of confidence. They were playing at a high level of confidence. And that's just so tough to beat at that point. And I'll tell you another person people don't realize on the Shabazz Napier was on the oh, as a freshman. Tough, and tough. I said I said then when he was there, I said I said that he's probably gonna be he's gonna be a pro. That that mm-hmm. little dude is, is good, man. I, I've never seen him before, don't know where he came from. <laughs> but as a freshman. Because what people didn't realize the Kipper would play really the two guard, not really the one guard that much. So he needed a point guard to play with in college, at least, so he could score all those points. Yep. And Shabazz was picking up full court when he got in the game. Mm-hmm. So that yep. became one of those. Like, hey, he was real. Yeah. No. No question. And I think you guys, you know, if you didn't play uh, face that UConn in the second round of the NCAA tournament, you guys made a run because UConn went on to to win the whole thing, um, and they were tough. So, listen. You guys are starting to build up some good momentum on that 2010-2011 season, and then that takes you into the 2011-2012 season. Um, And listen, you guys, (laughs) once again, you got a lot of good pieces. You, Killa, Dion, Yancey, Jaquan, Justin starting to do his thing. Man, people, I mean, you could feel the excitement for Bearcat basketball, like reaching – reaching new heights, but you guys had an early season loss versus Presbyterian. <laughs> Man, that was yeah. tough. I mean, talk about yeah. that on the expectations for for this season going into it and then losing to Presbyterian, who most people have never heard of prior to that game. I mean, um, to be totally honest about the whole situation of, of that season, we came in, uh, we, everybody knew Yancey would be the man of that team. Mm-hmm. But we, we were in a in a time where uh, basketball was changing. I felt like it was moving faster. Mm-hmm. And then people were going more up down the court. Yep. And the start of that year, we were playing kind of a, a, a offense through Yancey. Yep. And the I big. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was a very slow offense. 
and that didn't fit. You know, you got Sean Kilpatrick, his first year starting. I mean, second year starting. You know, you got me, you got Dion. We want to shoot. We want to run up. We want to shoot. Yep. So it, it was a bad combination. And yep. getting to the David game, which was even worse, and the fight happened, and not even the fight, but people talk about the fight. What I remember is we lost by almost 30. Mm-hmm. Right? But what what happened was it gave us a chance to, uh, with the suspension and everything like that, get smaller and actually show the talent that we had and why people were expecting us to be good. That is a great point, Cash, because after that Xavier fight, guys were suspended, and you go play right state, and that was one of the best games of the year, and it was a change of style. So that is a great point. Yep. It became like um, it's imagine losing the focal point of your team, and basically, but you you got you got four other people that are really really good that that plays alongside that one person, and you lose that one person, mm-hmm. and instead and instead of one person having all the power and all the autonomy of the of the offense, you gave it to the other four. You gave it to the other four people basically, mm-hmm. and you told him this is what he did. He told us, you know. There's no such thing as a bad shot for y'all for. Mm. You know, go out there and get it done. And it became easy because what? If a coach tell you that, that's the, that's the ultimate green light. That's confidence. No doubt. No doubt. So it, it, it's – and you got people out there like – I mean, we worked hard at shooting, <laughs> at basketball in general. So you talked about things that we could do. So just mm. shoot, play play offense, and, and, and gang rebound. And then we had young people like, you know, you got Kelvin Gaines. Kelvin didn't want the ball. He didn't want to shoot. So it was, it was perfect for everybody. <laughs> yep. You know what yep. I mean? And then when, you when, when, when the big guy did come back, you know, one, one thing I commend him about and what people don't think about is he didn't come back like trying to be like the man, you know, give mm-hmm. me the ball. He came back and he fit with us. And he then with him fitting with us, he bought in. And with him sitting with us, it became good because, you know, we all knew that Yancey was the man. But mm-hmm. Coach Cronin has let, he has let us believe that we, you know, gave us the the power to, to see that we can do this ourselves. You know, we, we, we can do it too. So now when you go, you come back now, instead of four people, we got five people. Mm-hmm. So when we beat yep. Syracuse and everything like that, mm-hmm. it's hard to beat us. You mm-hmm. got Yancey down low and you got guards out here shooting shots like that. It's hard to beat. I mean, it's just in basketball in general. And you, you said something earlier, which I think is so spot on, like how basketball changed. And you could slowly start to see the game change and how important guard play was and now is. Like now you look at basketball, man, all these analytics cash with, you know, how many three-pointers you have to get up, pushing the basketball, extra possessions. That was all starting around this time. And – what really played into your guys' team for that season was the fact that, like you said, you got so many good guards. And it was almost a blessing that the Xavier fight happened to help your guys' team. I won't call it a blessing, but it, it was – I wish we could have just lost and then we could have did that, but it, it was a blessing and a curse at the same time because those guys still had to, had to go through that part. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know you never want that to happen to other people, especially something like that. So, you know, yep. some, you know, it's just that's a bad situation for real, for real. Yeah. How wild? Okay, we didn't even talk about this, but how wild was that fight 
Um, and what were you doing when all that shit went down? All right, so listen, uh, I was literally, you know, we losing about 30. So the, 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 I was on the bench. Me, uh, the, the people on the bench, Dion shot an air ball. And then, so you're just sitting there thinking there's no people wolf all the time on the basketball court. You never really think it's going to be a fight. Mm-hmm. You're just thinking, you know, we, we see we see these people all the time. Like, it's not like we don't, we haven't go, we don't go to Xavier and play. Like, we go to Xavier all the time during the summertime and play, and they come to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. We see them in the city. So I was not thinking we're going to fight for real. But, you know, you throw in the fact that the whole situation, all the emotions built into that game and how it was actually going, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was like that. And I happened to be, I was right in front of Freeze. So Ooh. I was in front of, so I'm in front of Freeze, Yancey's next to me, and Sheck Moves is on the other side of me. So I'm right there to see everything. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, yeah, it, it happened so fast. Were you like, man, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, you, it, it's kind of hard to even think what, what's going on, to be totally honest with you. It, it just moved everything. With just, I mean, I won't say it happened fast, because if you look at the tape, it's a couple, what, what about 30 a minute, something like that. But mm-hmm. in real life, it felt like it happened in about five seconds, the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that whole season, man, was uh, – it, it was such an interesting season. <clears throat> and, you know, we talked about the Presbyterian loss – um, the Xavier fight, um, then then the transformation of the team, which started at the Wright State game. But I think when you guys got to the NCAA tournament, there was a, there was just like a lot of excitement uh, for this basketball team, and I think that went to the next level when we found out that there was an opportunity to play Ohio State, um, and the fan base and fans were all pumped up. Um, talk to us a little bit about that Ohio State game and, and, and going into that. I mean, it, it was one of those people were making it kind of a matchup thing because you got mm-hmm. Aaron Kraft, you got Jared Selinger, and people like that. So, in my opinion, what we did wrong in, in that whole Ohio State game was I, the what's the guy named? Um, number one for Ohio State, left-hand three-point shooter. Mm. So the fact that us being small has worked for us all year was the actual downfall of that game. Uh-huh. Because they had a four-man who was not – he was six – I want to say six, six, eight, six, nine, uh-huh. but to shoot. So then it became a height problem because you got Jaquan. Yeah, Jaquan can rebound with anybody at, at six six five six six but when you got That's a six good. nine person that can rebound and shoot it, it became a hard game for us it, it was actually a, a bad matchup mm-hmm. yeah the game was good at Cincinnati versus Ohio State but I, I wish that we could have played any other team <laughs> no offense to that yeah yeah, I'm sorry, I lost. I, I don't know. I just, I mean, I, I get that it's UC versus Cincinnati, but I always look at things from wins and losses, and, and mm-hmm. who you who you want to play in a matchup. I hated. I didn't. I didn't think that they were that good personally, mm-hmm. but I think that it was just a bad matchup for us. Not that I, I'm not a fan. I mean, I like Aaron Kraft. I don't. I'm not. He's cool, but as a team, they were a better 
a better team. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if if you guys would have won that game and beat Ohio State, I mean, what do you think could have happened <laughs> from there? I mean, the, the confidence, the momentum you had. Man, it was endless, though, if you think about it. I mean, we, we had people that can shoot, people that can defend, and uh, rebound in a big. So, you know, we, we felt like the tournament is about matchups, man. Yep. That's really what it is. So yep. we felt like matchup-wise, we would be any team that didn't have that didn't have a, a four stretch four, basically speaking. That's that's mm-hmm. what it's called because that's a you know basketball was transitioning at that time, so not many teams had that. If you think about it, at that time, 2012, people 2011, 2012, people are really just playing. We're still playing big guy basketball. You know, two two good guys and one big. And, you know, the, the fours really didn't do that. But they, you know, we felt like any other matchup besides that was, was good for us. Mm-hmm. We showed that the whole year. Because if you guys beat Ohio State, that next round you play Syracuse. And I think you yeah. guys beat Syracuse. Yep. Beat the Syracuse. And we already beat them before. So, you know, we, yep. we felt confident in that game. So we beat Syracuse in the, in the Big East tournament. So we, we felt comfortable in knowing what they were going to do against us and everything like that. But yep. Now you know, I, I got to. I got to ask you this question. That was um, <clears throat> that Ohio State game with the NCAA tournament. That was the year that you guys busted out those uh, uniforms, right? Was that the orange? Yeah, yeah. Man, what, what what are your thoughts on that? I asked Justin Jackson his thoughts. What what are your thoughts on those uniforms? Uh, I, I, at first, at first, I didn't understand why we got those colors. And I'm like, we are a black and red school. How do we get a orange? Like, I, and they, I guess it's supposed to be fluorescent is what they said it was. It did. Yeah, it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> Afterwards, looking back at it though, I like it, man, because you know, I, you you know, you won't see it again. Yep. Yep. Like we, yeah. we I mean, we 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 got one of one jersey. That was the only Bearcat jersey like that ever. Oh, that is fact. There there will never be those again. No doubt about exactly. that. I think good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think they I think they messed them up. I don't know this to be true, but my assumption is they messed up the color dye, and they were like, you know what, we have, we, we there's nothing we can do about it. Y'all just got to wear these orange jerseys, and we're gonna make up some story that's fluorescent, whatever. But yeah, it was not a uh, not a great look. But so that that season's you, over. What color you think it was supposed to be? Then? What's that? I said, what color you think it was supposed to be? Um, I thought it was supposed. Well, I think they were trying to get like a a bright red that would like pop more on TV, and whatever happened with the dye or something, it just it just turned real real orange. That's that's my assumption. Because if you think about it, like like Louisville had a similar thing. There's been turnout like they had like a, a basic yeah, red, that's right? What I'm saying. That. So I think that we were we were the ones that got that crap because <laughs> Louisville got 
Louisville got Louisville got the regular colors. Like they got the colors that you know they could have they could have sent us the same uniforms they sent Louisville in UC colors. Yep. Not in UC colors without a name on it. But yep. they chose to to let us be the ones to wear the the, the fluorescent the the ones that's like outstanding colors. Uh huh. So oh, you think you think that was exactly what they wanted? Oh yeah, I think it was exactly what they were going for. You could be right. You could be totally okay. right. It's good. It stood out. I mean, if you think about it till this day, people people always tell I mean, they always ask me about those jerseys, those specific ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you guys had the socks, too, that tied yeah. in with it? Yeah, sure. Right. So, so what they did was they gave you the uh, – and then what I, I knew it wasn't a joke because they gave us the uh, the shoelaces and match the colors. Oh, man. So, they, so, yeah, you're right. Wow. Well, I asked Justin we Jackson to... about them uh, when I interviewed him, and he just said, man, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he said. That was it. He didn't have any explanation. He's like, man, those are terrible. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I, I don't know, man. See, Justin, Justin, you know how Justin is. I do. I do. I'm like, I, oh, it I, was, that was cool, man. But you know what? Sometimes the good thing about those is it became a conversation piece. Like, people all over the country were talking about you guys and those uniforms. So that's always good, and maybe people would turn on the TV just to see the uniforms, and they tune in and watch UC hoops, and they're like, "Oh, dang, these these dudes can ball." So yeah, you, you you never know. So going from that season, Cash, into um, your last season, 2012-2013, just kind of looking at this uh, this roster with you, uh, Sean, got Titus. Um, can't forget about Titus, man. Uh, Justin, uh, I think Shaq was there. Park was still there. Um, now this is your statistically, this is your best season, correct? I think you averaged like 13 points a game that year. Um, you guys started off 12 and 0. Um, but the one thing we have to talk about is that game, and you know what game I'm talking about? Alabama. Oh man, okay. So I'm gonna go back the whole year. Um, starting off, um, man, uh, Bob and Gene. So, you know, I was a, a redshirt sophomore, so I was done with school. So my last year, I really got to focus on training and rehabbing and things like that. So I probably was in the best shape I've ever been in my life uh, mm-hmm. that year, starting off. Um, Alabama game was definitely a highlight, but then you got the um, – I, I don't know. That Alabama game to me is a tricky one because, to be honest with you, I sucked the whole game. Um, <laughs> I did. Like, it, it was just like every game leading to that game, I'm talking about I was doing great. And then that one specific game, the whole entire game, I sucked. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what was going on. I couldn't make a shot. couldn't do anything right, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And last, that's why when everybody else is really excited and jumping around to me, it was like an exhale, like, because I had built so much into that season to let it mm-hmm. go down with me just being trash on national TV. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. I get it. I get it. But that but that shot you hit um, has become – that picture became an iconic picture of you shooting that fadeaway. Um, and, and if I remember correctly, you have to – Help me out on this, but I'm I'm, I'm kind of going off off my memory. I remember you, you were bringing it up, and you drove it down the lane. I think Sean was like on the wing, and like the big came up and helped. 
from wherever wherever he was. Was your idea to go all the way to the basket, and then you realize, oh, this dude's pretty big. I better step back. Okay, so the play was drawn up for uh, Sean was across, and Jaquan was on the side that I was going towards. So if the guy would have left Sean, Sean was supposed to get the ball. Okay. But from the pick and how I saw the whole situation, it was face guarding Sean. So I knew I was going to take the shot as soon as I got the ball. Okay. So my only issue was uh, I knew who I was going to go against. So I knew we were having a Jack, Justin Jackson set the screen on the, on the guy. So after that, you know, bringing in the ball, I'm working on, okay, what what kind of shot can I shoot? Mm-hmm. I, I know that, you know, if I go to the hole, he's going to block my shot. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I can't jump over him. So my only thing was basically um, I, I have to figure out a way to, to get enough space just to get the shot off. And, you know, I rather, and I told Crone, I'd rather go left anyway. Like, if mm-hmm. I'm going to do anything, I'd rather go left and do it. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I, he pushed me left. So I knew once I stepped into him uh, that he would basically give me a little space because he would expect me to try to go the whole way for the, uh, the layup. So enough space, and then I was able to get a little fadeaway up. And the crazy part, I couldn't see the, I couldn't see the ball go in, but I, I, I heard the reaction. Mm-hmm. So and, and, he, was, he was tall enough, but I couldn't see the rim, but I yep. knew what, what, what to do. Mm-hmm. And when you saw that picture of you shooting that shot after the game, I mean, I'm looking at that picture. I think it was like on Twitter, like right away. And I'm like, how did in the world did he even get that shot off? It, it doesn't look, it doesn't look possible. It's just one of those things. When you saw that picture, you're like, damn. I'm telling you, I still like that picture to this day. Like fingertips away, <laughs> blocking that shot. <laughs> Man, that was a that was a great moment, man. And, and the shoemaker went crazy uh, that day. And like you said, man, I mean, you guys started off a great twelve and zero that season, and you know, kind of back and forth in, in the Big East play. And of course, the Big East is the Big East; it's always tough. Um, but I, I want to kind of skirt down to that NCAA tournament game, and you know, and, and thinking about this, I know when I played um, my last year and us losing in the NCAA tournament, um, how that felt and kind of the way we lost and how that felt. That last game that you ever played in a Bearcat uniform, NCAA tournament, March 22nd, 2013, first Creighton. Um, just like what what was that like and the emotion after that game? Um, probably one of the hardest things you've ever done. Well, I've mm-hmm. ever done because mm-hmm. you I put you put so much into a college season. I mean, a college career in general. Yep. Like, there's so many things that happen, some injuries and everything like that. And you know, for for one second to think that it's it's all over, like there mm-hmm. there is no more games, there is no more practice. You know, people don't realize that, but being in college, your schedule's pretty much set up. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, for for five years of my life, they pretty much set up everything how you which. You know, where you go, what time you be there, boom, boom, boom. So it's it's a pretty much set up thing. And yep. for all that just to be over. Like, and now you basically have to be able to navigate what to do. Like, life, mm-hmm. like after that, you know, at, at the speak of, at the, you know, the end of a shot clock, life starts. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No matter how hard well, it is. I mean, truth be told, but, you know, I mean, it's, 
it's a tough thing because you, you're thinking about so much, so many different things, and then you're thinking about, man, what am I going? What's the next step? Like, what am I going to do now? Yep. And and you decided to, uh, you know, pursue a professional career. Yep. Talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, that was probably one of the best things I've ever done. My whole dream was uh, ever was to, you know, play play professional basketball, make money doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, my first year, I went to uh, Groningen. Um, mm-hmm. Played on the Gestera Flames, which is probably the best team in the Netherlands. Uh, won a championship, won a cup championship. Uh, became like first team all DBL. Uh, played in the Euro 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 Cup. Um, my next year, I went to Greece, and this was around the time when they were going through that financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize about overseas is, man, you can go to some place and you can sign for X amount of money and get there, and all people not pay you. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. So that happened, and I was like, ah, I'm gone. So then I went to Poland, where I actually got a chance to play against Deontay, uh, Deontay Vaughn. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I went there, and then I, uh, my next year after that, I signed a, a two-year contract, go with the um, with the Leiden to go back to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of my second year there, I told ACL again, mm-hmm. and yeah, and the doctor told me he said, "Well, you got. I give you a choice. You know, we can fix it and you can play, but by the time you turn 35, you know, and he said 34. By the time you turn 34, you're gonna need total knee replacement, or." You can stop playing basketball, you know, play every now and again, but not professionally or not all the time, and live a normal life. And then that's another chance. That's life got real again. <laughs> yep. Yep. And you know the, the the thing, Cash, is like you're you're in this situation now. Um, I've been through it, and I, and I wasn't the type of high level player you were. Um, and other players are going through this, and I think it's great. I, and it was so sad to see Kobe Bryant pass away. But I think one thing we can take away from that as athletes is his life after basketball, he was preparing for it to be as great as his life playing basketball was. And he was a Hall of Famer in hoops, one of the greatest ever. But, man, I'm telling you, man, that, that brother was set up to do some great – he was already doing great things after basketball with his media company – his daughter was going to be one of the greatest WNBA players of all time. Now, I don't think that's even a question. He had other daughters coming up. He was going to be a spokesperson for women's basketball, um, a girl dad. Like, man, his second act was going to be unreal. And I think a lot of players, and you, you yourself are in your second act, I think we can take a lot away from that, you know, with his death and looking at that and how we can have – great second acts, and they could be better than our career playing basketball. That's true. You know? That's definitely true. Uh, oh, hey. Well, that's, that's one of them things. Kobe Bryant to me was like, man, like, I don't know, still to this day, it feels surreal. It's not, not to hop on that, but that, that whole thing seems surreal to me. I felt like, you know, he was like a person that couldn't pass away. No. The only way he could pass away is old age. Exactly. He was supposed to be that dude that when you turned on the TV years from now, he's got that gray beard, 
you know, ball kind of walking around like Bill Russell and Kareem do, you know, as old people. They're bringing them out at halftime. They're waving. We, we, it, it just it just doesn't seem like right. It just it's so weird. I still can't believe right. it when I see pictures of him. And and I'm like, wait, like this guy was open. He just opened up a gym. You got the Mamba Academy. You got all this stuff going on. Yep. And, and all of it was positive. Like you you would you would I don't know like that much positive energy. You I didn't expect anything like that. No no question. But you know in life, man, it's. That's that's how it is. You got to enjoy your time on the earth, and um, you know we we as athletes need to take away, you know what he was doing, and continue to have the impact. I know you're doing great things. You're doing great things professionally. You're trying to have impact on on young people, and that's all we can do is make the second act as great as the the act before that. Um, now let me ask you this question um, before we get into the last part of this podcast. I want to ask you, how do you sum up your career? with the Bearcats? When you think back, how do you put all that together? Um, I never been asked that question. Because <laughs> uh, let, me, let me say this, Cass. Let me say this, let me, hey, let me say this real quick. And one of the reasons I asked you this question is because the Bearcats are known for having a lot of great guards over the years. Obviously, Nick Van Exel, that's my favorite player of all time for the UC. And, you know, you look back to I mean, Sean was great, um, you know, Copain. And, I mean, there have been a lot of great guards uh, through the years. But there are a lot of fans, man, that have you up there as one of the great guards. Yeah, uh, to, to, okay. So, to me, when I see that, it's kind of surreal because I felt like my career was not even close to what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't think people realize, like, well, some, well, some people realize when they see me in high school, but I used to can jump I was faster than I was. Mm-hmm. And to this day, people think that I was fast, and I'm like, y'all have no, y'all don't really understand. I was a lot faster. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, I had a 40-inch vertical, so imagine I could shoot and I could jump. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a different player. And to me, I never got the opportunity to show that to Bearcat fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a great Rose Summer League where people saw it, but mm-hmm. that was it. And so I, to me, I guess they were just like, um, it was what it was. <laughs> it it, it yeah. really wasn't a, one of those things where I felt like I, I I achieved everything that I was supposed to, that I set out to do. I mean, of course, I got, you know, all the time feels like that's not nothing that to frown about, but I, I expect when I when I first came there for my day one, I expected so much more. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think, Cash, I think that's the competitor competitor in you, and the expectations that you put forth. And I think sometimes when fans think back to certain players' careers, um, they think about the big moments. And listen, you guys, you played in a lot of big games at UC, and you were a very important piece to winning a lot of big games. And that's what people remember. You know, they don't remember like think about this. That Alabama game, I guarantee you most people don't remember you you didn't play extremely well through the course of that game. They remember that damn shot. Am I right? <laughs> yep, that's a fact. <laughs> so if you look at the body of work and judging on 
you know, important games, Big East games, a lot of games, man, you were really good. And that's, what I think, what, what fans uh, remember. But I, I understand the competitor and the expectations that, uh, you know, you put forth. Yep. God, you're damn right, man. It was hard out there. I put everything I had. Yep. Oh, and and listen, you know, you you are in a I think a um, a list of players that I would say in Bearcat history really gutted it out. Like you were banged up a lot during your career and toughed it through and played. Um, and there have been players in the past, like I don't know if you remember Chad Moore that played at UC prior to you guard. Man, that dude had bad backs. He had like all kind, but he always found a way to kind of tough it through and get out there. And you're kind of of that elk of, you know, a player that I don't think people knew about all the injuries. Um, but you, you definitely, definitely toughed it through. So salute and hats off to you for that. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, listen, we always end the podcast with this. I've got quick questions and quick answers. All right, you ready? Let's go. All right, quick questions, quick answers with Cashmere. Right, we're going to start with number one, and I'm this question, Cash is like, this is like me and you right here. What is your favorite Air Jordan sneaker of all time? Jordan one. Ooh, the ones. I didn't expect that. Why is that? Um, you can wear them. Uh, I love to wear them outside, but you can also hoop in them if you want to. Depends on who you're playing with. I can play with them rec league league. <laughs> And I can play the best one. Okay. And all, all right. the colors they got, too. Oh, a lot of colors, a lot of flavors. All right, good deal. Uh, number two, um, looking at your, like, total career in basketball, not not just UC. I'm talking about from the time you started playing as a young kid through your professional career, like everything together. What is your favorite moment in your career playing basketball? Um, Sweet 16, uh, beating Florida State. Okay. Uh, they get to the Sweet 16. Okay. Okay. Number three, in your life, who's been the most influential person and why? Uh, my dad, uh, basically was the one who pushed me to become basketball, to play basketball. Um, when I was traveling from Savannah to Atlanta, my dad was the one driving us every mm. every uh, weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason why I could, I could, he wouldn't let me quit, wouldn't let me stop. Um, basically gave up his life for me to play basketball. I mean, his his, his life outside of work for me to be, become good at it. And mm-hmm. he really cared. I mean, still to this day, my dad called me every day. Every morning, text me. Um, so he he's the the, the true person that, that that pushed me. Mm, love it, love it. Great answer. All right, the fourth and final question as we uh, wrap up the podcast. Do you have a hidden talent that would surprise Bearcat fans? And what's that hidden talent you have? Uh, my hidden talent is that I am. Really, really close to becoming a head coach. That's what I'm. Doing. I'm really passionate about being coaching basketball, 
and I'm really close to becoming a head coach in Cincinnati to a certain school real soon. I love it. I love it. Full circle moment. Becoming a coach. Yeah. Giving back to the game. Love it. Well, listen, man. Hey, this has been great, man. I loved. First of all, I love talking about kind of your your journey and your path, and I think you dropped some nuggets for me of some things that I didn't know, like the whole Kimball Walker and make a decision based on where he goes. And there are a lot of little things you talk about here that Bearcat fans didn't know. I know they're going to like to hear this. So, um, listen, best of luck uh, moving forward uh, with career, uh, being a head coach. I'm sure I'm going to see you on the sidelines somewhere. Um, and also, man, getting you back to some Bearcat games. I hope to see you at some Bearcat games this coming season when all this Corona virus stuff um, ends. Yeah. Whenever that would be. Yeah, so, we have all. Might be the new norm. We'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. We'll be all right for sure. Just gotta right. gotta get through it. So, well, listen, man. I wanna I wanna thank you for your time. Um, like I said, man. Some people on Twitter really wanted to hear from you. Um, hear hear some thoughts. So I think this is great, man. I really appreciate your time and coming on the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. All right, Cash. I'll talk to you soon, bud. All right. Later. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at BigMeach41 and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.